Hi, this is Jeff Cobra, and we welcome you to this Disney at Play podcast. January and February were always weeks where Epcot seemed especially dead after the holidays, but Epcot's International Festival of the Arts has not only helped fill the park during this time, it's become a classic of its own. From the rainbow-colored lights of Spaceship Earth to the sights and sounds of Disney on Broadway at the American Gardens Theater, we explore what's new and what's returned to this annual event. We talk about progress on projects around Epcot to include the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy coaster. We also deep dive many of the dishes offered during the festival and we explore what is up with this whole figment popcorn bucket. If you are still planning on attending in the last couple of days of this festival or more likely, if you are looking at possibly attending in the future, check out this podcast where we give you a lot of the inside scoop. And we kind of look ahead to what's happening with the International Flower and Garden Festival coming up shortly. Remember that there are a lot of links, a lot of videos, photos, and more at our DisneyAtPlay.com uh, post. That's a great place to actually subscribe so you're notified when we have upcoming um, podcasts and other uh, articles and so forth. Well, as I kind of mentioned at the start, you know, I just remember that, that about a week or two after the holidays, you would go and stand at the front of World Showcase and you could look across the entire promenade midday and barely see anybody around. People complain about the uh, the uh, <clears throat> harmonious barges in the middle. Well, frankly, at least it's something. But what Disney has done over the last several years is was pretty brilliant. It introduce a new kind of festival. And while it has a lot of components, entertainment and food and beverage, it really does stand on its own and it's really quite cool. The other thing was that uh, I should mention before we go any further is that the other dead point in the year was August, where it not only looked dead across the park, it was hot, humid and dead across the whole park. What they've done during the during the pandemic by introducing a food and wine festival even earlier, at least in an earlier stage, and then maybe adding a few kiosks after it gets underway, that too is brilliant because really there just are very few evenings you don't come to Epcot and see stuff happening. It's filled, it's active, uh, it's just there's a dynamic, there's, there's a feeling of, um, well, it feels like a festival, whether it's the Festival of the Arts, the Flower and Garden Festival, Food and Wine Festival, or Festival of the Holidays. Epcot has definitely become Festival Central, and it does it, you know, for the most part, really good. There are many familiar things that we have seen from previous Festival of the Arts, but there's also been some some very cool things. One of them, I've attached a video on my on my post, 
is of Spaceship Earth, which now that we have these lead lights and people have said this is the best part of the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World is the addition of these lead lights onto Spaceship Earth. And it is colorful anytime in the evening, but they've added this touch of having um, Kermit and, and Miss Piggy and the Muppets sing the Rainbow Connection. It's, a, it's a, one of the, I think probably the first or earliest of the recordings. And they do a light show around it, including a big rainbow that comes onto Spaceship Earth. Now it is a problem. And I have gone at least four or five times during the Festival of the Arts. And if you're not there after dark and before the fireworks, you're not going to see it. And that's been a problem for me because, you know, it's way up the front of the park. I get there just at twilight, but it still hasn't started yet. And to go all the way back to the front uh, rather than um, before uh, Harmonious just hasn't worked out. But I did attach a video of another uh, group that had done uh, their uh, had included a YouTube video of it and they did a great job and so I thought to add that into it and you definitely want to check it out. I hope that not only is that added in future Festival of the Arts, I'd like to see that maybe just as a piece that comes on every evening uh, when you are at Epcot. Hopefully I'll have a chance to personally check it out in a format other than seeing it on video. Another thing I want to talk about, which isn't related to the Festival of the Arts, but boy, uh, things are kind of starting to happen at Guardians of the Galaxy. You're starting to see the front of this attraction, which was formerly the Universe of Energy. You're starting to see it kind of emerge, and it's and it's looking pretty exciting. A new Novacore Star Blaster has been uh, put in front, and I've got a video of uh, Kevin Doxy, who's a show set designer, and how he has paid attention to the details of this little... And what's fun about it is it's like the Millennium Falcon. It is, well, it's not as big as the Millennium Falcon, but it is a focal point, and it's got a lot of fun details, particularly as you look on the back side of the craft. And why that is interesting to me, too, is I also noticed that if you've not been to Epcot in a while... Um, just, I think it was before COVID, they, yeah, before COVID, they had created entrances on the sides that either took you directly right in front of the Living Seas or right over to the universe of energy building the new, where the new uh, Guardians of the Galaxy attraction is going to be. And it is, um, it's interesting because I noticed that there were thematic details that seemed to would only be seen on that pathway walking into, into Epcot. And that's encouraging me because I thought maybe these were temporary paths that would not permanently be in place. And I'm still wondering if that's the case because over there's some problems with how the, that path um, dovetails around a set of restrooms and other things um, and a, and a employee break room and so forth over at um on the on the living sea side but on the on this side i'd really like to see guests being able to go more directly into those corners of the park rather than having to go all the way up to a midpoint and then and then going over and then back down to see that but anyway check out the video that kevin shows of his um working on guardians of the galaxy cosmic rewind it's very exciting 
Um, and I, I'm, I'm, by the way, I should just, let's talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. I've been thinking about why, I've always thought, why do they put Guardians of the Galaxy, um, Cosmic Rewind in Epcot and Tron in the Magic Kingdom? Because you could have tied Tron to everything in the internet and computers and all of that, and it would have made a great tie-in to uh, Epcot. Instead, they put what is a Marvel film into Epcot. Again, they're kind of showcasing it as an intergalactic pavilion, but still, you know, we already have a space pavilion next door. Yeah, maybe it only goes to Mars, but anyway, you could kind of see, you know, why I've been thinking about this. And I, it came to my um, came to my mind the other day the large show building that was built for Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. I am so grateful that that big blue building is not sitting next to uh, to Space Mountain. I think it would have not been, it would have looked ugly and much more noticeable if it was along the entire, you know, as guests were kind of arriving by monorail or by arriving by Staten Island Ferry to the Magic Kingdom. I'm glad that they chose for purposes of how how that uh, show building is that they've that they've put the one in Epcot and the other in the Magic Kingdom. Chris Toronto will be fun in the Magic Kingdom. Tron would be fun anywhere, and Guardians of the Galaxy will be a great attraction for Epcot in the sense that a thrill ride coaster style attraction is is really is really needed. So, anyway, more to come on that. I I believe that probably if things are going right. They will start doing um, uh, previews for that attraction in May and then hopefully launch uh, full-time in June. So I'm hoping annual pass holders and press and others get and cast members get a chance to see it in May, as early as May. That would be great. It'd be great if Tron could be a big component in the fall rather than at the beginning of 2023. A big part of any festival is the festival foods. And I am embarrassed as I look through the huge list of things I've tried. It's been about five trips I've made to Epcot over the last month. And I apologize that the, all of this isn't earlier. I often do a festival in the first week or so and do a big preview. And I just felt like, okay, the festival is always the same. I really want something more substantive to say. However, I should mention that there were a couple of things that really stood out. Um, Pop Eats had some, well, Pop Eats not only had um, some familiar treats that have been popular, the tomato soup in the, in the tin can with the grilled cheese sandwiches, and then what has been my all-time favorite, uh, Festival of the Arts, uh, food, which has been the almond uh, frangipan cake. That's the one that if you slice it, it looks like the Partridge family bus. It's got different boxes of colors in it. And uh, and it's, it's frosted with raspberry jam and Belgian chocolate. Love all of that. That, that, that's been, that's also where uh, the figment premium popcorn bucket has been sold. I will come back to that in just a minute, but let's talk about a couple other places. Deco Delights had three desserts, and my big lament, although I will probably be there before 
the festival ends again this week. But my favorite, uh, I really, I tried the orange mousse with lemon cake and raspberry meringues. That was pretty good. Um, I gave it two stars. And by the way, in my uh, uh, rating system, a one star, not really worth it. Two stars, pretty good, but I wouldn't do it again. And three stars, you definitely must try it and you definitely must come back to it. That's kind of how I, I classify everything. Um, the almond cake, I put three stars because I have always come back to it again and again. Tomato soup with the grilled cheese, not so much. Um, Deco Delights, the orange mousse, I thought was two stars. I haven't tried the other two, which is a dulce chocolate mousse with chocolate um, cremeau and dark chocolate truffles. Sorry, I don't pronounce these correctly. Deca and then uh, another one, which is a deca decadent Valrona chocolate with dark, ch dark chocolate mousse, chocolate brownie and uh, cassie mousse. Um, in Mexico, we did try the taco de chocolate. This was a chocolate candy shell filled with chocolate, uh, Mexican chocolate mousse. I kind of like the taste of the Mexican chocolate with a touch of chili topped with seasonal fruit. Why am I thinking that there was corn was what was with it? I put a one star on this. I thought this was just, yeah. Um, in Canada, they had a wild mushroom risotto with aged Parmesan truffle shavings and Zinfandel reduction. That was a two star, very good, very expensive. That was nearly $10 for a risotto. Thought that was a little over the top. Love the mushroom touch. American Adventure also um, had a beef wellington with a, with mushrooms, prosciutto, puff pastry, um, some baby vegetables added to the side. Two stars. I would have given that one easily three if they had had a larger portion for what you paid for. That was a small portion. I love beef wellington. Disappointed that it wasn't a bigger size. The American Adventure had a pistachio cake with a cherry mousse and morella cherries. That was I, that was almost three stars. That was pretty good, except it was also in competition with something called Symphony and Chocolate Flight, and these were cream liqueurs paired with sipping chocolates. So basically, you had a white chocolate. You had these three little pitchers: one with a white chocolate, one with a, a milk chocolate, and one with a dark chocolate. Oh, I'm telling you, this was amazing. And um, I'm, I think they, I don't usually drink liquor, so I'm cream liqueurs. I thought probably was boiled out of it. But at any rate, if I were to redo this, I would grab those sipping chocolates and then I would head over to Italy next door and get one of their ice creams in that new shop that they have, kiosk. And I'd be putting those, those chocolate syrups on top of that. And that would be like heaven on earth. Here's one that I thought I was really excited because I love all things Encanto. I uh, just spent watching it twice today, this weekend with my, uh, with my granddaughter. She loves it. I was the first to come out and say Encanto needs to be a um, pavilion at Epcot. And by the way, Josh, uh, Mr. Olaf, uh, also came out and said the same thing. Here they had a little Encanto Cocina type thing. Very clever to put that in. Had house-made chorizo and a potato empanada. Um, 
I gave that two stars. It was delicious. Did not. It was more of a baked rather than a fried um, empanada, which is probably healthier. But I'm not used to eating empanadas having lived extensively in Colombia. I was not used to an empanada. It was delicious, but it wasn't an empanada that I would associate with Colombia. Then they also had a, uh, a spicy ajiaco soup um, with guajillo and arbol spice chicken, potato, avocado. I'm not sure I saw the avocado. Corn and cream um, uh, fraiche. I think that's how that's pronounced. That, and by the way, this is kind of the, uh, they had a, a kernel of, uh, a little thing of corn on the cob in it. It's very similar to what you see in the movie. And I was kind of excited to try this out. I, it was too spicy for me and I didn't have a beverage with me and I put a one star on it. And I put a one star because by and large in Colombia, and I checked this over with my daughter-in-law who's from Bogota. I lived in the Cali and the Valle de Calca area, which is where Encanto takes place. Seldom, if ever, did I have anything spicy Spicy is what you do in Mexico, maybe. It's not what you do in Colombia. Sometimes you'll have certain um, herbs and so, so forth um, on the side. But this this just didn't taste like a Colombian uh, a dish to me. So it was disappointing, and I put a one star. Now, the good news is you can always find three-star uh, dishes in Japan. And here they had a chicken kushiage, kushiage, um, which was a breaded and fried chicken with yum yum sauce and vegetables. Delicious. That was filling. I gave it three stars. Also, I returned and did the sushi donut, which I had done last year or the year before. A donut-shaped sushi featuring salmon, tuna, shrimp, cucumber, and sesame seed over a decorated plate of wasabi, sriracha, and eel sauce wonderful dish those two dishes will take care of your dinner if you if you go with that now here was the problem in japan they had this very clever um you know how you go to the different pavilions and they used to do a fan and they would the the hosts in all the pavilions would write your name in the language of that pavilion, German, Italian, and Japanese. Well, they offered sake in a traditional personalized wooden cup. It was a square-shaped cup. And they had a Japanese hostess, probably the only one who could run a register and um, personalize and put the correct name onto the to wooden cup um, because they don't have all the folks who are returning from Japan yet. They don't have the cultural representatives that we have enjoyed for so many years. Those have not returned because of COVID. And so it was, so it, while it was a clever idea, they only had one person doing it and she was manning one cash register and another was many cash register but she didn't know how to do that the line was way too backed up and not organized which is disappointing because that's never the case that's ran by a third party operation in japan and they're they always have their act together 
that was a mess in my opinion but the food was great and one of the things i would recommend i just don't ever very seldom am i disappointed by the offering in japan it usually is one of the best places for festival foods and that that contrasts with places like italy i i have come to just not even eat in italy because the third party putting on the food and beverage there runs the pricing way off the top of the charts for what they're offering. I think you get value for what you order in Japan. At any rate, those were the festival foods I tried over the four or five visits. I, um, I, I enjoyed there and it was a lot of fun. Let me talk about the Figment Premium Popcorn Bucket. You saw, undoubtedly saw, video and articles posting about how long lines and, and multi-hour waits took place at the Pop Eats place as people lined up way into the front of Epcot to stand in line to get a Figment Premium Popcorn Bucket with rainbow popcorn. And that easily sold out within the first day or two. I can't remember which. Let me just say that this kind of ticks me off. First off, um, it is so easy to sell that popcorn bucket in several locations. And there are multiple ways of doing it. In fact, what was announced today, and so I'm glad I didn't do this, is, is that the Figment popcorn bucket is back. And with it being back, you can now go on mobile ordering and order it and then pick it up over at World Showplace at a, at a kind of a window stand that they have there. And so they've taken out their, they've done exactly what they should have done on day one. They took out all of the harassment and pain of buying a Figment Premium Popcorn Bucket. I won't even get into the selling multiple buckets to people. I think that's silly and crazy but here's my biggest problem first of all you didn't you didn't offer an option that would have made it easy or if nothing else sell it off of multiple popcorns uh, stands throughout the park and spread your lines out or something there were lots of ways to have done that and not created the line i really feel that this was another orange bird fiasco Put out there and i say that because if you rewind the clock back to pre-covid you'll remember that one year they had an orange bird sipper and the lines were long for that and they quickly sold out which didn't last long because about three weeks later they had more orange birds so this is not an issue of figment um, not being available because of COVID. They did the same thing pre-COVID with the Orange Bird. They keep doing this game where they limit the quantities and they create long lines and social media hype around the product they're selling. Now, why are they doing that? There is a lot that it works really well with food and beverage. And I just named a bunch of festival foods and kiosks that I really enjoy and I really appreciate when I go to the parks. But this is a game I feel that food and beverage is playing with the, um, with the retail side of the house. Remember, Figment is not, they weren't out of rainbow popcorn. They were out of, um, they were out of the Figment pup buckets. 
And why were they out of the figment buckets? It's I think they play a game of showing how they can sell retail better than retail can. They can create more demand and more hype than retail can. And I think they're playing a game. And and there is this side, the set of silos that occurs between food and beverage and with the retail folks. In truth, if you had put retail in charge of it, they would have had enough figment premium popcorn buckets to last probably the next 10 years. Not to say that retail hasn't done select, you know, pin collections and things like that, and is, you know, Popco or Funko and, and those kinds of things which sold out and had a lot of media hype. Well, food and beverage is pre, pre, giving pretense that they could do the same thing. In truth, they didn't need to do it. They can order enough of whatever they need in a popcorn bucket for 2025 right now, put it in the warehouse, and have plenty of, have everything ready to go in plenty of time. This is not about lack of planning. This is not about um, demand being surprising. They had no idea it would be, are you kidding? A figment popcorn bucket? They knew. They knew it was going to go, and it was going to be very popular. And they chose to make the crowds wait for long lines so they could get the hype behind it. And that I completely say is a lack of customer consideration, or guest consideration, as it should be. It just leaves me with a very bad taste in my mouth. Um I didn't buy the Figment popcorn bucket. It doesn't really look like Figment to me. It looks squatty. It it just I I'm not probably a big Figment um, collector. I can't say that I can point to a ton of Figment stuff I've collected. I like Figment. I like the original Journey into Imagination, not Journey into Your Imagination, but Journey into Imagination. I love the original. I mean, although it needed improvements as well. But this whole thing with the popcorn bucket is very frustrating because I feel like they're playing games with retail. By the way, the same thing, did you notice in the marketplace at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, when they reopened, everything reopened in those little kiosks. You know, there's one for clothing, there's one for plush, there's one for like pins and related souvenirs. Um, They have these um, different different retail thing but the one thing that didn't open for the better part or over a year was the popcorn stand that was in there now why didn't they reopen the popcorn stand that would they had other popcorn stands open in the park why you can't say that was a COVID or a closed space because they could have easily regulated that and you know had only one you know put out markers for where people stood so they were socially distant i feel like that was a game by the way why don't they just sell that ever popular popcorn why don't they sell it in the stores because the stores the retail stores sell the popcorn again it's a, it's kind of this game as to who's selling what and it's 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 becoming very frustrating uh, I think to the uh, to the end guest experience. Speaking of retail, there has been some criticisms around retail for this festival. Um, the bulk of the retail for this festival resides in tented kiosks along World Showcase Promenade. They're third work parties, and they're able to kind of seal up their little tents 
at the end of the day so they keep their own collection, their monies and everything kind of intact where they're at. If you go back in time to where actually the entire festival has its roots, it's really going back to what was the Festival of the Masters. I don't know if you ever attended that experience, but that was held in, well, what was downtown Disney? As Disney Springs re-emerged, it went away. But about the same time, that's when Festival of the Arts came along. And this was incredibly popular. It happened, it happened on a long weekend. And I want to say maybe towards the end, it happened on a couple of successive weekends. But there were tents, so many tents lined up along downtown Disney, you could not actually see from one side of the sidewalk to the other. It was just stash full of tents, very similar to the tented kiosk you see along World Showcase Promenade. And um, and that was very popular. And I love the artwork. I love the artwork that celebrates Disney. I am inspired. There was some great product out this year. There was this one um, group and I saw that they sold out. They had done a map of Pirates of the Caribbean for Disneyland and one for the Magic Kingdom. There are differences between those two attractions. They captured that. It was just cool and fun. I saw another one that kind of did um, uh, Jiminy Cricket in front of a map of the Magic Kingdom done in, a, in an older style that you would have seen for Disneyland but never had seen before for Disney uh, World or for the Magic Kingdom. Very clever, really clever. One of um, Elliot around the lighthouse from uh, Pete's Dragon. I love all of that. Um, my problem with the tents is this. And some people said the tents are kind of ugly. And I, I have to agree. They are, they are ugly. They are ugly. But the bigger problem with the tents is this. They occupy a great deal of the guest space or the spectator space for Harmonious. So when guests are trying to gather to see that show, they're in entire, you know, sets of 25, 30 feet that are, are held out because there's a tent standing between you and the lagoon. And uh, I think that is, if they could take most of those and not put it on the lagoon side, but put it on the other side, I think that would help. Even better, and I can't remember which podcast suggested it, but I thought it was a good one. I think it'd be nice if they just created a whole um, artisan showcase inside World Showplace, you know, the big, big tent between the UK and Canada. I think that would be even uh, a better um, idea. Um, I, I haven't really said much about exclusive festival activities because they really haven't changed a whole lot from other uh, festivals. Uh, they've had their artful photo ops where you kind of get into the painting um, of, a, of a classic painting. They've had chalk paintings between Future World and, um, and uh, World Celebration. They've had these paint by number murals in uh, through the front of Epcot uh, where you could kind of come in and paint uh, different numbers and it creates an overarching mural that stretches uh, 40 yards or so. Um, and then they've had a chock full of characters found throughout World Showcase where you could see Disney characters. They're not really chalk. 
Um, they're really, well, they may look like they've been done with chalk. They're kind of a laminate that's attached to the, to the building so they can do it every year. Uh, this year they had a scene from Luca as part of the Italy pavilion. That was kind of cool. Um, they are all cool things. The problem with many of these things is they're not available in the evenings. And for a lot of locals like myself, we show up around five thirty, six, so forth. Uh, you don't get to participate in a lot of that, but, but it is a part of the festival and continues to be a part of the festival. One of the, th and, and there was actually one thing I didn't even see until I studied. It was called a wonderful walk of colorful cuisine where you went and you ate five different dishes, a deconstructed key lemon pie, blood orange braised beef carpaccio, Oh, beet carpaccio, house-made chorizo and potato empanada, which I described earlier, pan-seared scallops, vanilla donut, and you do that, and then you visit Deco Delights, and you get a culinary treat for having uh, eaten the others. Kind of a clever thing, kind of like the cookie thing during festival, the holidays. This is a lot more um, of a variety, but, you know, if you don't want the scallops, then, then you know, you're kind of out the end result. So I thought that was um, kind of a missing kind of thing. Uh, well, I mean, it wasn't well well communicated, and and um, I I don't know that I would ever take advantage of it. What I did take advantage of, and what I think is perhaps the capstone of the festival of the arts, is Disney on Broadway. I absolutely love the Broadway concert series that they have. I've enjoyed it year after year. If for some reason you're listening to this podcast, and it's funny because I've, I went there last week with some locals who did not even know the show occurred, even though it's been on every year they've done the festival. Let me just tell you that if you've missed the show and you're local or you're still going the last week, the best shows are actually the last week because what happens is, um, well, Ashley Brown and Mary Poppins um, perform. They still got um, a couple more performance. Uh, um, I said Ashley Brown and Josh Strickland. I'm sorry. Ashley's from Mary Poppins. Josh um, premiered Tarzan and they're still performing. And then Kissy Simmons comes in a little later and they perform along with Michael James Scott of Aladdin they perform up until the 20th. And then here's the big performance. On the 21st, they have Ashley, Josh, Kissy, and Michael James Scott all on February 21st doing a shared show. Definitely worth it. Maybe even worth it to do the, um, because you can go on um, the reservations and kind of do a um, eat to the beat, but it's not called eat to the beat. It's it, But you do a restaurant, you get a, uh, first come uh, ticket to the thing. I've actually included some videos of the, the uh, one of the concerts. I've seen, I've seen Ashley and, and Josh years before, um, but this year I took in, and they were so fun, Ariel Jacobs and Adam Jacobs, who both have starred in the starring roles in Aladdin, although different shows. And by the way, they are not a husband and wife, they are actually brother and sister. And they came in and did some songs and I showed them singing Circle of Life and Whole New World. Just so great. So great. Definitely check out those videos if you don't check out the show itself at, uh, at um, Epcot 
this year. But whenever you make your way to the Festival of Arts, be sure to save some time to see the Disney on Broadway concert series. Can you believe that only in a couple of weeks we're into the festival or the Flower and Garden Festival and already they have planted the big um, mural of plants that kind of border what was Future World and World Showcase. Uh, in fact, there's a big 50 for the 50th anniversary there. Very cool. And um, and they there's a number of things happening there. Although it seems to me as I was watching Encanto again with my granddaughter, you are missing a huge opportunity to do something Encanto related because is this not related to butterflies? So if they don't take their butterfly booth and do it related to Encanto and play Encanto music, they have missed the mark. I know they've got big butterfly topiary. They also had um, topiary of the one um, daughter who does all the, who makes flowers come alive. I mean, they could do a whole thing on her in, uh, as part of the Flower and Garden Festival. Don't think, I haven't seen anything on that yet, but it would be great if they did something on that. And uh, I'll be looking for that and maybe reporting how that is going a little sooner than I did this year with the uh, um, Festival of the Arts. Know this, that in truth, ah, boy, there is um, there is a lot that is going to be happening as Guardians of the Galaxy um, comes online in the days, in the weeks to come. So not in March, probably not in April, but I would say pro for sure, almost for sure i think you'll start seeing testing and lines and things happening in may hopefully the fences will go back you'll see a more expanded area it's great to see that nova core ship because it made epcot feel more like something you know scientific space wise it looked more like an epcot and that's what i i really loved about that and it it will add to that and we need to see the center area of um, epcot i'm looking forward to the moana Gardens, there's so much over the next year or so that's going to appear at Epcot and it's going to be an exciting time. You cannot, you will not miss out. If you haven't been to Epcot in a year or two, you're definitely going to want to plan on it at least sometime from June or July onward. Don't know the for sure date of, of Cosmic Rewind, but I would say it's coming sooner than later. Well, this makes our uh, Disney at Play podcast We've been around Epcot and had a chance to talk about many things. Be sure to check out my YouTube channel, J. Jeff Cobra, where more videos can be found. And also, when you go to DisneyAtPlay.com, check out the Wayfinder Society. This is our Patreon group, where for as little as a dollar, you can not only help sustain this podcast, but get treated to some very cool things. And our upper tiers, by the way, are getting some new content very shortly so it's it's a very exciting time to be a part of the wayfinder society and i invite you to join thanks for being part of this podcast and again in the words of sinbad's storybook voyage always follow the compass of your heart have a great day we'll see you real soon <laughs>